All right, thank you everyone for joining us again for Palm Sunday. We are going to get right into the Word of God this morning, so I hope that you grabbed your Bible. Do you have your Bible ready? If you don't have it, get it out. Get your Bible app out. Also, if you're following us on uh, live.nlcwv.com, we've got a great YouVersion Bible section for you to choose. All of the notes are there for you. Um, so you can follow right along with the scripture, with the list. It's really, really a cool setup and interface for you. Uh, again, I want to say hi to everybody on Facebook Live and everybody who's watching the service. We love you. We miss you so much. And I've got a powerful word for you today, and I'm excited to get into it. So I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we're going to get into the word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It challenges us. It transforms us. We receive your voice speaking to us, through us today. For us to help us to grow in our faith and be like you. We love you today. We yield to your voice. We yield to your presence. In Jesus' name, everybody, chat amen. You can say amen too. All right. For the next few moments, I am going to describe to you the power of the cross. We are in Easter week. It is a powerful week for the church, for all of us as believers. And again, although the methods of church and how we worship are quite different right now. The message of the gospel has never been more powerful, nor has it ever been more relevant than it is right here, right now. We need this gospel now more than ever. And so we're going to get into this. So the Bible says that the message of the cross, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness, foolishness. So nobody else really sees the power of it. In other words, you got people that treat the cross as just a pair of earrings they wear, or it's a, it's a chain they wear around their neck, or it's just a relic they hang on the wall. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, this cross is so much more. So much more. It is the power of God. And that in that cross itself, in that cross, there is power in Jesus. Now watch this because I want you to see this right from the beginning. This is what I want to show you. It wasn't just, just that Jesus went to the cross and he did it and he finished it and all good. that's all good. No. Listen, everything that Jesus did was intentional. Everything he did was assigned by the Father, and it wasn't just for him. It was through him for you. It was through Jesus for you and for me. And so there is a lot to, to this cross and a lot of aspects to this crucifixion that I'm going to describe to you today that I hope you understand this wasn't just Jesus fulfilling an assignment. This is a power that was released through this event from Jesus for you into your life that he wants us with everything in us to grasp, everything in us. Um, I was thinking about this. I'm going to be preaching on the power of the blood of Jesus. And I was reminded of that old song. Uh, there is power, power, wonder-working power. I can't sing or I'd start and I'd have all y'all start clapping off beat with me too. Where are my Baptist at? Y'all the ones who love singing that song, right? Power, wonder-working power. Remember that, how that went? In the blood of the Lamb. I remember singing that song as a kid growing up. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Look in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. Now, remember, this is at the end times. This is the very end of the age. Um, and the Bible says, it has come at last. What has come at last? He says, salvation has come. Not just salvation, but power. He goes on, and authority. And he says, you can have all three of these. Not just salvation. Salvation is good. But that's not all. 
No, 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 there is more. There is power and there is authority as well. He wants you and I as believers, as followers, to not just have salvation, but to have that power, to have that authority in our lives. He goes on, verse 11, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's the devil, has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night, the Bible says. Watch this. And they defeated the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And I mean this with everything in me. There is power in the blood of Jesus. So much power in the blood of Jesus. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Coming into Easter week. Jesus went through a couple real interesting days. I mean, real interesting days. And it all began on a Thursday. The Thursday night before what we would call Good Friday. Now, Good Friday, by the way, was only good for us was not good for him. It was horrible for him, but for us, it was good. And so Jesus gathered together with his followers, his disciples, on that Thursday night, and they would celebrate what was called the Passover. It was a Passover supper, and this is where they broke bread, and uh, they, they drank the wine that night, and that's where Jesus shared with them what his body meant and what the blood represented, and that's where we, of course, have our communion aspect of worship today. That's where it comes from. And so the Bible says after that he had broken bread with them, uh, he went on to wash his disciples' feet, and then Judas took off um, you know, to betray Jesus, and he did it for 30 lousy pieces of silver. And basically the Bible tells us that he you know, approached those who wanted to arrest Jesus and said, for 30 pieces of silver, I'll tell you where he's at, and I'll tell you where you can go arrest him. And so they... You know, Jesus and his followers, they go, he takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane. Of, let me say that again. Gethsemane. It's not easy to say. You type it out real quick. Say how you do. The Garden of Gethsemane. And so he goes out there and he goes to pray. Now, what I love about this is he knows he's about to go through something horrific. He knows what the assignment is from his heavenly father. He knows what God has called him to do, what God has told him, has instructed him to do. He knows it's coming. And so Jesus separates himself into this garden in order to pray and prepare his heart for the pain he's about to endure. And there's a powerful lesson in this. A powerful lesson. We actually taught this last August, last year. Jesus knew that in order to be ready for what he's going to go through, he had to pray first. And so anytime you're about to go through something or you're going through something, you better learn from Jesus and pray first. Just the other day, I messaged someone. I was checking on them, see how they're doing. Hadn't seen them, of course, anybody. Hadn't seen anybody in weeks. So I was checking on them, see how they're doing. And he sent me a message back and he said, Pastor Josh, I'm actually doing really well. It's because when we showed up to New Life, you taught us to pray first. And so we started praying right away and God has been opening doors and providing. So Jesus is there. He's in the garden. He's praying. He's finding his strength through his relationship with his father because he knows what he's get, getting ready to go through is going to be difficult. And as soon as he finishes praying, Roman soldiers grab him, arrest him. And the Bible says from that point forward, it would be all night long. It would be an all-night-long ordeal. He would go through six different trials through that entire night, which actually in that time was illegal. It was illegal for both Roman law and Jewish law to be tried at night. So they disregarded the law. They arrest Jesus. He goes through six different trials. Uh, he would meet with Annas. He would meet with Caiaphas. He would meet with the Sanhedrin. He would meet with Pilate. Then he would meet with Herod. Then he would go back to Pilate. Six different trials. Six different times he is being tried all through that evening. It would happen from 9 p.m. till like 6 a.m. 
that next day. Now, the Bible says this, and this is not in your notes, but I'm going to pull up in Matthew chapter 26. The Bible says that the chief priests were looking for false evidence. You want to know why they were looking for false evidence? It's because there was nothing that they could pin him on. There was nothing they could, they could pin him down for. He was perfect. He was spotless. He was without blemish. See, in those days when you were going to offer a sacrifice, um, you would have this week where they would, they would essentially evaluate and inspect that lamb that was going to be offered to God as a sacrifice. And during that week, if there was any kind of spot or any kind of blemish, they would disregard it and replace it. And so Jesus, he's being tried right now, and they couldn't find a single thing to pin on him. It's because Jesus was that spotless, blemishless lamb. Not a thing he did, and that who's, that's who he was. Good, I need a good amen from that. And so he's perfect. He was perfect then, and he's perfect now. And they couldn't do anything about it. And so what are you going to do with the perfect man? Not a whole lot you can do with him. You can't convict the guy. He's done nothing. So now what they're doing is they're looking for false evidence, things that they can bring against him so they could still put him to death. The Bible says that they had actually brought people in and convinced them to perjure themselves, to lie, and make false accusations up about Jesus in order to accuse him, in order to still put him to death. The Bible says that they couldn't find anything until Finally, they asked this question. Right around verse 63, 64 of Matthew 26, they asked the question. They said, I need to hear from you, Jesus. Are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? By the way, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's not like, hi, my name's Jesus Christ, first name, last name. No, Christ, that actually has a meaning, has a powerful meaning. It means, it means and I wrote this down, it means the anointed one who has the power to break any yoke of bondage off of your life. That's who Jesus is. He's the anointed one, the sent one by God who is sent here to break any kind of bondage off of your life. Whatever it is you're going through, the whole theme of this book is redemption and freedom. And it only comes from one source, that is Jesus. Somebody say amen this morning. I feel like preaching up in this house. So Jesus says, yeah, it is me. You said it, and it is exactly as you say. Verse 64, he says, that's who I am. And so when Jesus said, I'm not just a good man, when he said, I'm not just a prophet, when he said, I'm not just, you know, another great teacher, when he declared, I am the Son of God, it was from that point forward where you could no longer just classify Jesus, you know, in some formula, formula or in some equation of, well, you know, I follow Jesus, I like Jesus, he seems like a good guy, I don't follow all of his teachings, but he seemed like a good man or he seemed like a prophet. No, Jesus is either one of, one of three things from this point forward. He is either exactly who he said he is, the son of God, or he is a liar or he's a lunatic. He's one of those three things. And you and I, we have to choose who we're going to serve today. Jesus is either totally crazy, making all this up, and he is a crazy person. Or he's lied about all this, and we've been following a liar. Or every single one of us should be on our knees right now declaring that he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings because he is exactly who he said he was, the Son of God. Jesus speaks to them out, and he says, yeah, this is who I am. And the Bible says that once he declared that, they were furious. They 
spit in his face. They punched him. They beat him upside his head. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. And then they sent him to suffer torture and the most excruciating execution ever recorded in human history. I've always wondered this. Maybe you've wondered this with me. I've always wondered why Jesus chose that period of time to go through this. I mean, he's God. Remember, he's God. He was there before Genesis chapter 1. He'll be there at the very end. He's, he's God. He's been there from the very beginning. So I've wondered, Jesus, why in the world would you choose? Because if Jesus chose this generation, this culture, this age, they probably wouldn't even convict him. They'd let him go. They wouldn't even worry about it. Be like, here you go, 20 days probation, you're good. But back then, why would you choose this day and age, Jesus, in that time of history where execution was at its most brutal? I think that Jesus... Looking at the historical timeline, knowing from the beginning to the end, he said, I really want them to know just how much I love them and what I'm really going, willing to go through and what I'm going to go through, put myself through to save them. I want them to know just how much they matter to me. And so we're going to look at a very interesting very interesting passage of scripture. I preached on this individual last week. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it again this week. The prophet Isaiah. So this is incredible. 800 years before this took place, Isaiah had a vision, and he actually prophesied. 800 years. Think about the time. 800 years. I mean, the month of March for most of us felt like about 20 years. <laughs> Uh, how old is the United States? About 200 years? I don't know. Google that because I don't have a clue. I just know this. 800 years is a long time. And the prophet Isaiah saw this vision, saw this vision and recorded, prophesied exactly what Jesus would go through. And there would be four things he emphasized. And those four things are what I'm going to specifically target and preach on today. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. The Bible says this, because for you, for you and for me, he was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed, and I'll tell you what that means in a second, for your iniquities. Iniquities, what an interesting word. And the, He was the punishment that brought us peace that was upon him, and by his wounds, other translations say by his stripes, we are healed. You have four wounds through this crucifixion that he endured, four wounds. And what's interesting, all four of them didn't just happen to Jesus. They happened for you and they happened for me. So if you're a believer today, if you are following Jesus, Jesus is your Lord, he wants you, he wants you to have everything, everything that he paid that price on the cross for today. He wants it active and alive in your life. And he wants it for us right now. So I'm going to show you because these represent something that he paid for, for each and every one of us. I'm going to show you what they mean. Now, I'm not going to do it in the order that Isaiah listed. I'm actually going to do it in chronological order that Jesus went through um, because that I think that will help us understand. So they sent him off that Friday morning. Now, the first step in any Roman execution would have been the scourging. And this is where they sent Jesus. They sent him to be scourged. They sent him to be beaten. And so they took what was called, it was a whip that they took, and it was called a cat of nine tails, and it had a wooden handle, I don't know, about this long. They would hold it. At the end of this handle, it had nine leather straps. Sometimes they were leather. Sometimes they were bound by, like, horse's hair woven together. And at the end of those straps, they would have large pieces of sharp objects 
could be steel, it could be bone, it could be rock fragment, it could be wire, but it was meant to rip flesh. Now, I know we've seen a lot of videos or movies or different things where it was depicted where when they beat Jesus, they would beat him like this. They would whip him and come across, and that's not how it was. History tells us that what they would do initially is they would take that whip and they would dip all of those leather straps in water to soak it down so it was nice and heavy. Then they would take the ends, the sharp pieces, and they would dip it in some form of blood filled with bacteria. So not only when that ripped through the flesh, it would also bring infection. The Bible tells us that 39 times he was beat. 39 times. How they would take that whip is they would take it and they would stick it and then rip it. 39 times. 13 times across this shoulder. 13 times across this shoulder. And I'll tell you why they did the shoulders in just a moment. And then 13 times right down the middle. Now, Roman law determined that they would only do this 39 times. And it really didn't matter, though, because most people didn't live through those 39 flashes. Most people died before they even got to the cross. Most people didn't even make it through half of that beating. It was so excruciating. It was so devastating. And so the Bible tells us why he went through this scourging. Why he got that whip on his back. Number one, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. That whip represents healing in your body. It represents healing in your body, in my body. By his stripes, we are healed. Every stripe that was ripped into his flesh was for a targeted disease, for a specific disease. And it wasn't just for a disease that existed 2,000 years ago. It was for every disease up to that point and beyond that point. Every disease, every virus, including the one we're fighting right now, every cancer, every sickness. Those 39 stripes covered, covered. And he said, for anything you and I would have to struggle with, any kind of infirmity, anything in our bodies we would have to fight through, he says, I'm not only going to pay the price for your sin, I'm going to pay the price for your sickness also. I'm going to pay the, pay the price for your healing also. And that's what we believe, that Jesus took those stripes on his back so that we wouldn't have to bear those stripes on our own. What are you saying, Pastor Josh? What are you trying to tell me? I'm trying to tell you this, that healing... Healing is for you. That Jesus still heals. He has never stopped from that day forward. Healing is a promise from God that was provided for you and for me by Jesus Christ himself with those stripes on his back. And I am talking about absolute healing in your body. Hold on, hold on up. You're trying to tell me that Jesus still heals people? Oh yeah, the, he is the great physician and his, his hospital is wide open. He didn't close shop. He still heals. He never stopped healing. Well, if, if Pastor Josh, if he still heals, then why hadn't he healed everybody? Why isn't everybody just healed? Man, I wish I knew the answer to that question. Gosh, I wish. I don't have the foggiest idea. I just know this. He still heals. Sometimes he heals on earth and sometimes he heals in heaven. And I know people who've received both. I know people who receive their healing on earth, and I know people who receive their healing in heaven. And, and this is why this is important, because when you, breathe, you and I breathe our last breath, we don't just evaporate and life isn't just over. When we breathe our last breath, the Bible says life is not over. A new life is beginning. We move from this earth, from this life, 
to the next one, to eternal life. And at that point, there is no sickness in heaven. There is no disease in heaven. And so I know one day when I breathe my my last breath, I'm going to be reunited with all kinds of people that I love that maybe not received their healing on earth, but they got it in heaven. But I know so many people who have even recently received a miraculous healing on this earth. And so we're going to continue to believe God and trust for his healing. Somebody say amen. So here's what I know. I know this. I'm going to pray for somebody to be healed today. This is what the Bible says, 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself, Jesus Himself, bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, not just for sins though. By His wounds, by His stripes, you have already been healed. It's a past tense kind of thing, that God has healed you, that healing has been provided for you, that Jesus wants you to be healed. And so I'm going to pray for anybody and everybody who's gone through something today. Actually, I feel led by the Holy Spirit to do it right now. That if you have any kind of sickness, any kind of disease, any kind of ailment, any kind of illness in your body, I want you to open your heart. I want you to receive this by faith that Jesus is your healer. And actually, that's how I want to start it. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to say this after me. Jesus, you are my healer. Father, I pray for every single person who is dealing, suffering with any sickness, any infirmity, any virus, any attack, any weakness in their body. And in the name of Jesus, we release the healing power of God to flow in and through them. And we thank you for that healing power in Jesus' name. Jesus, you are our healer. Everybody say amen. Jesus' name, we are healed. So after... This took place, they did something that they normally would not do. They grabbed Jesus, and he had just been nearly beaten to death. And the Roman soldiers took him to a place called the Praetorium. Now, this Praetorium was essentially a locker room for the Roman guards. It was like their break room where they would go to hang out. It was typically not a place where you would not go um, unless you were a Roman soldier. And the Bible says they brought him there, and they took him there for a purpose, to just to make fun of him, to mock him. And so they began to beat him. The Bible says that they covered him. They, they, they put a, a mask over his eyes, um, blinding him. And then they began to punch him. And as they would punch him, they would mock him and say, Hey, listen, we heard you're a prophet. Why don't you tell us which one of us is hitting you? Just making fun of him. And they didn't stop there. The Bible says that one of the soldiers went off and found a thorn bush and began to weave it together to form a crown with these two-inch thick thorns. They had already placed a purple robe on him. They were mad at him because he had called himself the king, and they only wanted to be the ones who were in charge of the Jews. So they had already mocked him with with the purple robe. And now they take this crown of thorns, and the Bible says they shoved it onto his head and beat it in place. Now, The moment that would happen, not only would Jesus be bleeding outwardly from his forehead, it would also cause internal bleeding. That blood would be rushing to his brain, causing all kinds of pressure. The Bible says that Isaiah saw this. 800 years earlier, he saw this, and he prophesied about it, and he makes this interesting comment. He says, upon him, upon him, this punishment He has bought us our peace. Our peace. Where would we get this peace? Let me ask you a question right now. Where are you struggling for peace in your life? I'll tell you where. Right here. Right here. In your mind. In your head. 
struggling, fighting for peace, fighting the worry, fighting the stress, fighting about your future, fighting about what ifs, fighting about I hope I don't, fighting all of these thoughts. And the Bible says this, write this down, number two, the thorns that Jesus suffered, they represent a freedom and a peace in your mind. That is what is provided. And I am speaking to somebody today who's got stress, you've got anxiety, you have been filled with worry, you have been filled with doubt, you've been dealing with depression, you've been dealing with nervousness, you've been going through the worry and all the fear, and your mind has been driving you nuts, and you haven't been able to shut it off, you've not been able to get a, night, a good night's sleep in a while, and I'm telling you right now, Jesus didn't just die on the cross for your sins, he also suffered so that you and I could have peace in our minds. And this is what the Bible says about this peace. This is not just any kind of peace. He says this in John 14, 27, peace I'll leave with you. Peace I'll leave with you. And so if you haven't experienced this kind of peace, then you, you, you haven't experienced everything that he came to provide you. Peace I'll leave with you. And it's not like the world's peace. It's a special kind of peace. It's my peace. And I've got a peace that the world can't give. So do not let your hearts be troubled and neither let it be afraid. And if you're troubled, or if you're afraid, or if you're stressed out about your job, or about your health, or about a friend's health, or whatever it is that you're going through, listen, even though you love Jesus and you're saved and you'll go to heaven one day, you have forgotten about the peace and not claimed the peace that God has provided for you so that you could have rest right here on this earth. And the Bible says this in Isaiah 26.3, that God can actually keep you in perfect peace. Those whose mind is stayed upon him and, and who trust him. And, and I want to make sure you have this peace. I want to make sure that this exists in your life. So every time you see a crown of thorns, I want it to remind you of the peace because of the punishment Jesus went through. The peace of Almighty God for your mind, for rest in your soul, for rest in your thought life so you don't have to worry, so you don't have to go through that pain in your mind in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. That's good stuff. After they put on the crown, they brought him back, the Bible says, to a public arena. And now remember, they should never have taken him off to the side to begin with. That was something that was illegal. And so at this point, they would make the, the prisoners carry their own cross to Golgotha's hill. They would require them to carry their own cross to that hill. And, you know, even people who don't go to church know this story. Once you got to the top of that hill, they stretched your arms out. They stretched your legs out. And they began to nail your hands and your feet to that cross. They would nail the hands and they would nail the feet. Nail the hands, nail the feet. Now, it's more likely that when they nailed Jesus' hands to the cross, they didn't go through the palm. They went through the wrist. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Romans considered the hand actually from the elbow to the fingertips. When Romans would greet and shake hands, they would do it like this. And so it's very likely that they nailed him right there in between those two bones to support the weight. If they had nailed him right there, they would have had to, it would have required them to tie ropes around him to hold him in place because the body weight would have just ripped that nail right through his flesh. But the Bible says they nailed his hands and his feet. And when they, when they nailed his feet, they took his feet, and if you can, they would put a little bit of a bend in the knee and place the feet over top. And the reason why they would put a little bend in the knee 
is because they, they didn't want him to be able to support himself and stand upright. Now, remember what I told you about the scourging, how they would rip through the shoulder this side and rip the muscles out on this side. The reason why they did that is because when they nailed you to that cross and you couldn't support yourself with your feet to breathe, you'd have to lift up. You'd have to be able to pull yourself up with those shoulders, but you didn't have any muscle left, any tissue left. They had ripped it to pieces. And so the torture, the goal of the cross was not that you would bleed out, not that you would just suffer in pain. They wanted you to suffocate. They didn't want you to be able to breathe. And so Jesus, not being able to physically lift himself up, they wanted your... They wanted your lungs to collapse. They didn't want you to be able to breathe this. And you know, we've seen pictures where the arms were straight out, and it was not likely straight out. It's likely the arms were up, so it forced you to lift up, to pull up. And if you weren't able to do that, you'd stop breathing. I'm just trying to describe for you what Jesus went through. Why, Pastor Josh, his hands and feet? Why his hands and feet? I wrote this down. Because your hands represent everything you've ever touched. Everything you've ever done in your life. It's represented by your hands, what you put your hand to, both good and bad. Your feet represent everywhere you've ever gone. Anything you've ever, anywhere you've ever been, your hands, anything you've ever done, and your feet, anywhere you've ever gone. And remember, Isaiah said that he was pierced for our transgressions. In other words, every place you ever went that was too far. Everything that you ever touched that was unclean that you should not have been doing. Everywhere you went that you knew you should not have been. Everything you did you shouldn't have done. Write this down. Number three is this. The nails represent this. They, were, they represent freedom. Freedom in my hands and freedom from anything I've ever done. You're talking about absolute forgiveness. Absolute guilt-free forgiveness. And I love that Jesus paid for all of this on the cross. And, and by the way, there are too many people who say, you know, I believe that God has forgiven me for my sins. And I, I want you to know this. He wants to do more than just forgive you. I hope you hear this. He wants to do more than just forgive you. He not only forgives, but Hebrews 8.12 says this, He remembers your sins no more. He forgets. He chooses to forget our sin. It's like if you were a little kid and you were playing. I used to do this when I was a kid. You'd play baseball in somebody else's yard you weren't supposed to be in. You hit that ball, you break a neighbor's window. Oh my God, there was nothing worse than that. You were so scared to tell your parents. You went back and told your dad, Dad, um, I broke my neighbor's window. Your dad's like, oh, well, we got to go talk to the neighbor. I got to pay for it. got to fix it and all this kind of stuff. All right, so you go, you fix the neighbor's you know, window, you pay for it, all that kind of stuff, um, and, and you're, you're taking care of it. Well, then you get back to the house, and your dad disciplines you and says, I told you not to do this, and so I forgive you, but by the way, I'm not going to forget. And he reminds you every time you play the next day, don't you dare play in your neighbor's yard. I remember when you broke it. That's not what God does. It's not like he keeps reminding you over and over, but remember what you did, remember what you did, remember what you said, remember who you were with, remember what you're doing. He doesn't do that. He forgives He's paid for you, but he's chosen to forget. He no longer remembers your sin or my sin. But listen, he goes even further than that. Hebrews 9.14, think about this. Just how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience. It, 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 even more than him forgetting it, some of us the issue is God forgives, God forgets, but we won't let ourselves forget. And so we live with guilt and shame day after day. And he says, no, my blood, it cleanses you. 
It removes that from your conscience. I don't want you, I don't want you anymore living with that stain of guilt and shame on your life. I want you to understand that full forgiveness, full cleansing, a brand new life was provided for us in Jesus' name. Finally, the Bible says in the ninth hour, in the ninth hour, I'm going to invite Hillary to come up on and play. He breathed his last breath. He breathed his last breath. And you know, there were people who would hang there for hours and hours and hours, for days sometimes. And the Bible says that, the Bible says that Jesus breathed his last breath. It actually caught him off guard. And if someone was still alive, they would usually take a rod, some kind of heavy stick. They would wedge it between the cross and their leg, and they would jam it, breaking their legs so they would just suffocate and die, put them out of their misery. Sometimes they would take that rod and just break it just below the knee, break their legs so they could no longer support themselves. And when they went to do this with Jesus, the Bible says that he had already breathed his last breath. It caught him off guard. And so one of the guards took a spear. And the Bible says that they likely took that spear and they shoved it into Jesus' chest, into his chest. And you'd have to run it underneath the rib cage in order to hit the heart just right. And when they punctured Jesus, the Bible tells us that out of his chest cavity came a mixture of blood and water, which medical science would tell you this. It shows that his heart, his heart had already ruptured before they punctured it. It had already ruptured. So how did Jesus die? Did he die from blood loss? Did he die from pain, excruciating pain? No. Did he die from suffocation? No. You want to know how Jesus died? He died of a broken heart. And this means a lot because so many of us have suffered with that broken heart. And we know what it feels like. And this is the power. And this is what Isaiah said. Isaiah said he was crushed. He was crushed. Proverbs 17, a merry heart does, does good like a medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. It's so hard to live life with a broken heart. And I wonder how many are watching right now that have suffered with a heart that has been crushed or has been broken Maybe even before, maybe during this pandemic, you were dealing with something difficult. Maybe it was a divorce or a broken relationship. Maybe it was a child that ran away from God and you couldn't do anything about it. Maybe it was watching someone suffer with addiction and you couldn't do anything about it and you tried so hard. Maybe it was disappointment. Maybe it was something financial. I don't know, but this is what I do know. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew he knew that you and I would have a broken heart one day. And he said, in order for me to heal them the right way, I've got to go through this. I've got to feel what they feel. I've got to have my heart broken and my heart crushed so that I can provide that healing into their life. That is the power of the cross. And so number four is this, the spear. The spear, he heals, he binds our broken heart. He binds our broken heart. He gives healing in our body. He gives peace in our minds. He um, makes us guilt-free through our hands and our feet and forgives our sin. But also this, he gives us joy back. He restores our joy. And this, is what the, this is what the cross does. See, some of you, you, you need your joy back. 
especially right now, but you needed it before this. You need your joy back. You need your heart to be healed. This is what the Bible says. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray specifically over all four of these areas. And let God do a supernatural work in and through your life, and then we're going to receive communion today on this beautiful Palm Sunday where we're all in our homes worshiping God and you're in your PJs and I'm in here dressed up. It doesn't even matter. We're going to let God's healing power work in and through us. And at this moment, listen, don't tune out. Don't check out. Don't, don't log off. Don't close the browser. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't run from healing. Run towards it. Get your joy back today. That's, who, that's what Jesus paid that high price for us. It's what Isaiah saw and recorded so that we could experience this day the healing power of God. Bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the benefits that we can receive right here, right now, on, on earth, in this life. The, the benefit of healing, freedom, peace, restoration, joy. We can have these in our lives, Father. But we can only have it if we surrender our lives to you. and We surrender our hearts and lives to you. And so we pray, Father God, right now that people would surrender their hearts and lives to you. Lord, I know there are tons of people all across this region who've been listening and who are worshiping you. And I'm praying, Lord God, that we would make this decision once and for all to never go back to an old life, a life without Jesus, a life filled with pain, a life filled with hurt, a life filled with no peace, but we would fully accept the promise of Jesus, the blessing of the cross, and all that Jesus provided through his punishment. Now, I can't have you, I can't have you raise your hand. I can't have you come down to the front. I can't have you do all, all those things. There will be a day where we can do this and you can make your salvation known publicly. But for now, it's going to be a private decision. If you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, don't you dare let this moment pass you by. You choose to accept Jesus and all the price that he paid on that cross for you. And choose to make him Lord of your life. And if you'll make that choice, you simply pray this prayer with me right now. Out of your own mouth, pray this prayer. Out loud so you can hear it. Father, in Jesus' name, I need you. I am so sorry for all the things I've done in my life, for the mistakes, for the sin, for the failure. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on that cross just for me. Those stripes on your back was for my healing. That crown of thorns on your head was for my peace. Those nails through your hands and your feet were for my forgiveness. And that broken heart was so that mine could be made whole. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for loving me. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. No turning back. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. You're in the family of God. You're not just one of his creation. You're one of God's children now. 
And so we want to officially say thank you. Make sure you let someone know. We've got elders and pastors that are online watching and moderating. If you have a prayer request or if you want to let someone know that you've just been saved, let them know so that we can continue to help you get started on your journey with the Lord. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the families to get together and gather your elements of communion. And we're going to honor the Lord by receiving the communion table today. I've got a scripture I'm going to pull up and read. It's a familiar scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And this is what the Bible says. For I received from the Lord what I am also passing on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you, and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, and do this. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The first thing that he did was he took the bread. So I'm going to ask you to take this bread in your hand and I'm going to say a prayer. When I say amen, we're going to just break this bread and receive it. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that this bread represents or whatever it is they're holding. It could be a cracker. It could be a wafer. It could be anything. But it represents the very body of Jesus that was broken so that we could be made whole. Thank you for that healing power flowing through us. We honor you and we remember the price that you paid. In Jesus' name, break and receive. The Bible says, then he took the cup. So you get your cup ready. Help your children out if you have kids there. And whatever it is, if you have juice or you're using milk or you're using Coca-Cola, no matter what, this represents the blood of Jesus. So take a moment, close your eyes, and let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we also come before you thanking you that this cup and every cup that we're holding all across this region, it represents the blood of Jesus that was shed, that blood that is filled with the power of God. Thank you for that blood that covers and cleanses our lives, that we can stand here, sit here, and worship you guilt-free because of the price you paid. We remember, we honor you, and we thank you. Let's receive. Hallelujah. Can we take just a moment and just give him some praise? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We bless your name. We praise your name. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the word of God. Listen, I hope you were challenged today. Um, I, more than that, I hope that you understand the price that Jesus paid for every single one of us and that you fully receive. It's not enough to just have salvation. That is an awesome start. But he also wants you having power, and he wants you to have authority. And that is all provided through the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray, and we're going to be officially dismissed. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the power of God, for the word of God speaking in and to and through us today. We love you. Thank you for the healings, the salvations, the miracles that happen in our lives. We continue to trust you. We continue to believe in you. We continue to have faith in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for watching over us, protecting us, guiding us, providing for us. We give you the greatest praise, the greatest glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. I love you. God bless.